Hi, I'm Gordon Lanfear, and welcome to the Real Finds Podcast, the podcast where we interview key entrepreneurs, scientists, and activists who are shaping the real estate industry, and as a result, our world. In today's podcast, we'll be speaking with Ken Wimberly, co-founder and chief visionary officer of Wimberly Group Real Estate Advisors and founding member of Laundry Love, a chain of laundromats with a mission to educate, equip, and inspire those in the communities where they serve. On the podcast, we'll discuss the keys to building a strong real estate practice, the ins and outs of successfully running a laundromat, and accountability as a bedrock for success. Hey, Ken, thanks for hopping on the podcast today. Gordon, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So I wanted to start off, could you give me just a brief background, a little bit about you uh, for folks who don't know? Yeah. So Ken Wimberly, um, I live and work in Fort Worth, Texas, been in the commercial real estate space since 2002. So wow. 20 years now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Prior to that, I was in the Navy for a while and and then was in uh, financial services, did insurance investments and then actually launched my uh entrepreneurial career with a, a pizza restaurant that later failed. And that brought me to the real estate business. So I've uh, been doing nothing but commercial real estate as far as in the real estate industry since that time, specialized early in my career in land brokerage, did most of what I was doing, working with a handful of uh, residential real estate uh, developers. And so we'd go amass uh, land parcels for them and they'd, they'd zone them, plat them, subdivide them and, and sell them to home builders. Is what they did. So I did that for a bunch of years, which led me to some land investment. So in investing in land for a while, doing some of that, uh, you know, in the mid uh, mid two thousands, and then you know, 08, 09 crash came and transitioned some things there. I had me just doing really a lot of bank REO work for a couple of years, and then uh, that led eventually to my introduction to the KW, Kell Williams, KW Commercial world, uh, built a, a, a large broker pack, brokerage practice within KW, uh, then became a, a franchise owner at KW. And then um, about 2018, 2019 timeframe, um, started two different businesses as well. Um, one was a, a uh, tech company, uh, journaling for, for parents to their children, uh, that we, we just now, unfortunately, yeah, last year made the decision, to shut that down. So we're in the final month of shutting that business down now, but also we got in the laundromat business at that time. And now we've got three successful, uh, laundromats opening and we're looking to do, uh, acquire uh, 10 more this year. So that's the, the short version of, of Ken Wimberly. Well, you're a jack of many trades. You have many diverse income uh, cash flows. Uh, what I would like to start on is actually take a little jump back. And yeah. First of all, thank you for your service. I know over the years we've made a conscious effort to hire veterans on our staff. Uh, and it's not through pure altruism. Um, it's mainly, honestly, because veterans typically have great soft skills. They have strong uh, leadership ability, teamwork skills, work ethic. And I would agree 100%. Yeah, I was curious um, with that. How was your transition uh, out of the Navy into the private sector? And do you use many of those skills today? Well, so interesting. Uh, I joined the Navy during my college career. So uh, I was had a year left uh, of, of college when I, well, America went to war with Iraq back in Gulf <laughs> yeah. One. And so when that happened, I enlisted in the Navy the kind of next day after bombs flew and uh, did a tour in the Navy and 
And but the Navy was great. I loved my time there. I didn't end up getting. To, I wanted to. I'd been watching all these Navy SEAL movies and really wanted to to uh, become a Navy SEAL. Um, however, in going through the trial process, passed the physical, no problem. But um, my vision was. I've always had mediocre vision, and you needed at least at the time 2020 vision to go into special forces, which really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you don't want someone looking for their contact out, you know. <laughs> Uh, so it did make a lot of sense, but of course I had no idea that that was um, part of the process when I when I went through the cre- recruiting process. Uh, anyway, but getting out of the Navy, back into college, it uh, it was a smooth transition for me, and frankly, it helped me. The Navy helped me to focus a great deal, and so I, I went from being a uh, you know a B C student uh, prior to to going into the Navy to a straight A student when I came out. Like I was really focused on what I wanted to do, what I wanted to accomplish in my life. So let's let's focus on one of the key things that you've done very successfully in your life, which is real estate. And so what I wanted to ask is why real estate? You you could have done so many things when you got out of the Navy and you did do a lot of things, but why was real estate really your primary focus and where you saw a lot of success? So I, I got my degree with in finance with a real estate concentration on that. And so I had interest in it way back when I had, had gotten out of college. I got out of college in 96. And so I had, had an interest in the real estate business there. I had actually applied to a number of commercial real estate firms. And um, at the time, I never really got picked up at one of those places. And so um, I, that led me into just sticking where I was in as an intern into the financial services field. Um, but it was something that always just seemed of interest to me. My family was in the uh, development business. They're developing residential lots at the time. Now they're uh, that part of the family is in, in multifamily development as well. But so I had an interest in it from back then. Um, and then when you know, the opportunity arose after shutting down the pizza restaurant and then working in the restaurant business for another year after that, I was like, man, I got to do something else and uh, decided to you know, really looked into real estate as a career path, interviewed uh, with some people and studied the residential side, going into residential brokerage and the commercial and commercial just seemed much more in line with my personality. I'm a finance guy. I like numbers. I like deal structure. So uh, commercial real estate ended up being the, the path for me. So talking about that real estate path, you built uh, a, a practice at um, Keller Williams, which was what the number one commercial practice for the KW brand in like what 2014, 2015, right. that era. Right. So very successful, right? How does one go about building a successful real estate practice? I think it, it starts with just yourself. I mean, this is at least for me, starting to learn uh, who I am, learn the business. You know, I, I spent the first year in the business, I was working probably 15 hours a day, making zero dollars, right? I mean, you get into commercial real estate. If you're getting into commercial real estate brokerage, you can anticipate <laughs> making very little your first year or so in the business. And, uh, you know, I was making zero dollars, but you know, working 15 hours a day, just learning the business, studying, learning about landowners, uh, learning how to have conversations. And I think it's really important early in your career, frankly, throughout your career to have good mentors and advisors. And, I had a great mentor when I got in. I, I went to work for a small partnership and I would just sit for hours across this guy's desk, listening to his conversations. And 
asking, what did that mean? What did that word mean? What does this acronym mean? And he would just slowly start teaching me the business. And so I, I think it's really, really important early on to focus on just learning your skill set, learning the business. And then as you start getting clients, figure it out, how can I add value to every single person here? That's been fascinating to me. And I didn't learn this for another 10 years, probably, is that now I know very much that I can bring so much value to people that, frankly, you know, these these may be people that are, are super, super successful in the real estate world, in the industry that I'm in. Um, but I can help them in other aspects of their life from whether it's accountability, health and wellness, you know, parenting, different things that I've developed skill sets at that then it bonds our relationship. And then I'm able to help them even more in real estate right there. So uh, there's I think for, for each of us, look, finding ways to add value to every person in every transaction is the most important thing we can do. You know, from a blocking and tackling strategy kind of thing, I tell you, you want to really uh, focus on things like having a database in your business, uh, no matter what, uh, I guess, niche you're in or what you're doing, it's really, really important to have a database. And look, Excel is not a database. Outlook <laughs> is not a database. You know, people are like your iPhone is not a database, right? Those are not, you know, having a true real estate database, uh, CRM, and feeding that thing every day, you know, have conversations. I've got, I've got like, I had a call with a guy just a minute ago. I've got notes on the back of this that I will be going and adding into my database after this call here um, to make sure it's in there. Cause I can tell you, you know, a week from now, certainly six months from now, I will not remember that conversation. I won't remember the details, uh, but use that database, feed it with details um, on transactions, which is what this is about, but more importantly, details on your interaction with the person their family details. What do they really like to do? What are they passionate about? You know, what are their dreams? You know, feed, feed your database with that information and it really helps to build a relationship. So I know for us, uh, when I took, took over um, a lot of our sales and leasing practice about five years ago, um, we had a very analog based um, uh, database and yeah. it was great in terms of it was very thorough and it had all sorts of information but it was very hard to research. And we've moved into a Salesforce-based uh, database and um, it's been a game changer. I mean, you call up someone or you, or you have someone call in and maybe you've heard this voice before, but then you're like, oh, look them up in the database. Oh, you need more docs. Okay, done. Deal's done. Like you can move on. And just, I would say to all the folks listening, if you're not using a database that you can go, and it doesn't have to be Salesforce, it doesn't have to be whatever, but it's got to be something that you have a, a efficient system and you have to go through that process on a daily basis. Otherwise, I mean, you're just leaving money on the table. So. Well, and with the databases now, we were just, I was on a call yesterday researching one. My wife's got a successful uh, residential real estate practice and um, she uses great database that they use. and. Um, you, you, you can create workflows within your data. Yeah. I know Salesforce will allow you to do it, right? Yeah. You, you can have follow-up workflows that are, are you know, 99% automated um, on these workflows so that you can really stay in touch with people that you might otherwise lose contact with. It's super important. Look, I'm, I'm not a lazy person, but I'll say this. In comparison to my level of efficiency before and after putting up workflows, I mean, it's a game changer. So. Yeah. So on that list of game changers, one of the things that 
um, I, I know you talked about was starting that practice and, and getting it going and developing systems. And I think one of the most important systems that's under talked about in our industry is the hiring process. You have uh, you have a diverse uh, set of cash flow. And so as a result, I'm sure you have to delegate. And so I'm interested, what do you look for when you're looking for a team member? I know you worked in the service industry and you worked in, um, also you ran a pizza restaurant. So you've had a diverse set of staff. Yeah. What What are the kind of folks that you're looking for when you're looking to hire somebody? And, and now we run laundromats, which is another very diverse set exactly. of staff, right? So, uh yeah, but thinking in terms of of the the real estate or professional services kind of business right there, right? We're looking for intelligence, like want core intelligence from people. You know, can you think, but integrity is a massive one right there. So you can be the smartest person ever, but if you've got low integrity, um, you, you have no place on here right there. And then a whole lot of of grit and drive and just just internal passion inside to go do good things right there and do big things. Um, and you can't teach that you, you the grit and the drive that, that it, it, you can't really can't teach that. And if someone is not, um, uh, living in integrity, you can be a great example for people, but it, it's hard. So those are kind of two things you've got to really pull out in a, in an interview process going through, you got to really pull out in a vetting process through talking to, uh, uh, references and not just talking to one ref one level deep you know go two three levels deep on the references uh, so we when anyone comes and interviews with us we get a, a form signed by them that we can um, ask anyone they give us um, for additional references and we can ask anyone they give us for additional references so that we can kind of continue down the path and talking to people um, yeah I've actually had people say Hey, can I be honest with you? <laughs> you talk about a red flag that comes up when you're interviewing and someone says can I be honest with you uh, but it's it's great if you'll ask the questions and then listen to what people say. You can learn a whole lot through that process. Yeah, I, like soft skills uh, and uh, and core values are what drive a great team. Um, so I would attest that we follow very similar hiring practices over here. I think one of the the most interesting things, though, about uh, you is you have a diverse set of um, cash flow, right? Um, and I was blown away when I started researching you about your dive into laundromats because it's not a business that originally I think a lot of people think of as a, a core business that helps our society run. Yeah. But how how do you get into laundromats and and why laundromats? Yeah, interestingly enough, it is not a business we were looking to get into. The last thing I was looking for was another business, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, um, I've already been stretched too thin. And now I'm really, really, it's interesting because now I've narrowed, I do very little, you know, I still do some, but not a lot of brokerage, not the the, the way I used to do. Um, and most of my business is focused on laundromats today. But I, I'll, I'll tell you how that started was it was the solution to a real estate problem. Uh, my partner and I were buying a uh, 50,000 square foot retail center in, in Abilene, Texas. And All right. we're under contract for this center. It was thirty thousand was leased, twenty thousand was vacant in the center, but it was still cash flowing, and you know we we're buying it at like an eight cap on actuals, uh, which, yeah. So it was a solid deal um, <laughs> with upside on it. But we were looking for tenants to fill the vacancy, and I was at a, a real estate conference and just visiting with different tenants, talking about this this particular asset, and uh, pitched it to a laundromat 
guy at the conference. He had a little table set up there. And he came back to me a couple weeks later and he said, Ken, he said, man, this is, I ran the numbers and demographics. This is actually an ideal location for a laundromat. And uh, I was under the impression that he was a laundromat operator. And so I'm talking about what he needs in terms of lease. He's like, we need a 10 year lease. We could pay up to this much. And you know, he said, we pay $15 a square foot in rent. And I'm like, well, we're charging four. So this is going to be a home run for us. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, through the process of working with him, I realized that, that he was not an operator. He was actually a, a manufacturer's rep for a laundromat equipment. And but he introduced us to the local distributor. So through the distributor, we were trying to find an operator. And uh, we were just in a market where they didn't have anyone teed up ready to go or. You know, but we just kept toying with the idea. Well, what if we became the operator? And so my partner and I that were buying the real estate, uh, we said, yes, we would be interested in that. No, we would not be a good operator of that because we just know ourselves. We're great visionaries, great fundraisers, great starters, not great stick with it and be the operator kind of people. However, there was a, a gentleman that I had met um, and gotten to know really well uh, through my time at KW. He was actually running all of the uh, commercial and, and luxury operations at, at KW. And I'd try to recruit him onto our real estate team a number of years ago, but he, uh, yeah, this is pre-COVID when you, you actually needed someone to be on site. And so yeah. he didn't want to relocate and move. And so that didn't work out, but we kept in contact and I really uh, respected this guy a lot. He was actually a, a West Point grad, uh, multi-tour over in Afghan, Iraq, a, a former professional baseball player, just a leader of leaders <laughs> was this guy. And so anyway, we, we went to Skylar and said, hey, man, would you, you know, be interested in exploring this industry with us? And he said, yes. Yeah. So we took a full year, the three of us really learning about the industry before we dove in and opened a store. Uh, we went to industry conferences. We read, you know, uh, trade magazines and kind of learned what was going on in there. We talked to other operators. We really kind of dug into it. And we went to you know, several different like meetups from the uh, manufacturers reps that they were having and really studied the business and said, you know what, we think this is something that, that could work. But if we're going to do it, we said, we don't want to just do this to fill a space in, in one. So if we're going to do this, let's create a business around it. And so we've, we've created our own brand. It's called Laundry Love LUV. Uh, we've got a children's play area, children's literacy area in ours. Really big. Uh, our stores thus far have been six or 7,000 square feet. So we've got three open all, all between six and 7,000 square feet. Um, spacious, well-lit staff locations with friendly attendants and lots of machines and TVs up on the wall. And, and my big rule for our stores is that our TVs um, only play positive programming, right? Okay. So no news, no daytime TV, no, you know, Geraldo or Sally, Jesse, Raphael, no, no junk on the TV, right? I want um, positive programming that, that people can get maybe something good out of, out of what's coming through the TVs right there. So anyway, we, we've created this. We opened our first one in late 2019, uh, just in time for COVID to hit. And, uh, but, you know, you limped through COVID and, and now are, are really thriving with that store. We opened two more this year. And uh, our plan for next year is we'll open uh, at least one more, maybe two, as far as this ground up kind of construction. And then we'll purchase you know, six to 10 next year. So we're really starting to scale up the operations of that. But the beauty of our laundromat business is that we're real estate guys, right? So everything we're doing, as far as when we look at purchasing laundromats, it's we're only looking to purchase if we can also acquire the real estate. 
Um, and that real estate could be a single tenant building with, with just a laundromat, or it can be a, you know, hundred thousand square foot shopping center that we can also buy the laundromat operations in there. So uh, for, for us, it's, it's a big, you know, it's a dual operations play, both the operations of the laundromat and, and the real estate setting. So we're, we're, you know, creating, um, you know, hopefully a very large real estate portfolio as we go through this process. So as someone who's not super familiar with the laundromat business, yeah. Uh, when when you're going out and you're saying, okay, what makes the laundromat industry unique compared to other service industry businesses? Is there a certain factor or a certain set of factors that makes it kind of a unique asset? Well, I mean, look, it's one of those services that we all need every every week. We all need uh, laundry services. Now, most of us, or, or many of us, rather, I want to say most, many of us have uh, washer and dryer in our homes, right? And so when we go do laundry, it's 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 within the comfort of our homes. Uh, or if you're it, you certainly if you're in a new apartment complex, you've got washer dryer facilities either in your unit or you know on on site in the, in the nice apartment complex right there. But you know much of uh, you know the, I'll say much of the world, but certainly you know, in, in many many places uh, throughout the U.S. There, they, there are people that that don't own washer dryers, or that live in old B or C class apartments that either don't have hookups, or that have like this really dilapidated laundry room facility where you'd be just embarrassed to go do your laundry, and you know, you're lucky if it gets clean right there. So there's there's a demand for this type of service, and so we're, you know, and here's an interesting stat: most of uh, laundromat says says like eighty. The stat is eighty nine percent of the laundromat customers come from a one mile radius in here. So we're looking wow. for locations that within that one mile radius have certain demographics, certain income profiles, um, and certain number of of rental units in the in in those locations. So we're you know for us, it's looking for uh, great real estate locations to operate these laundromats. So. Uh, one of the voices that I think a lot of folks follow on uh, Twitter and real estate Twitter, I'm sure you, you've heard of him, uh, real estate Trent or strip mall guy. He talks all about, you know, the strip mall environment, the strip mall real estate environment. And one of the things he harps on quite often is talking about the environmental challenges of running dry cleaning. I'm curious, is there a significant difference because of the kind of equipment that's in a typical laundry mat? than someone who'd be operating a dry cleaning location? Well, it's really different in terms of chemicals that are yeah. used in, in, in the difference. So we're, you know, we're not using any hazardous chemicals in our facility. So that's, it's, it's a non-issue for us as far as environmental issues. Now we do have to have upsized utilities in terms of water, electric, and, and gas in our facilities right there. But as far as environmental or hazardous chemicals, uh, we we don't allow them, we don't use them, and it's 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 a non-issue for us. So one of the other things I'd like to touch on, and I know you went back, or I got to go back to it, is uh, you talked about uh, a bunch of factors that drive your strategic site location. What are those factors in particular? I, I'm guessing income, uh, population size. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Well, so if we're talking about just for the so there's a combination both of, of you know there's there's good real estate factors okay what would be a good real estate factor you know traffic counts uh, hard corner intersections um, you know significant visibility there's a lot of things from the real estate but then from the laundromat that goes alongside those th those certainly traffic counts visibility 
um, uh, hard corner is ideal, not not necessary, but ideal. Um, we want to be uh, visible from the street because oftentimes you'll have a shopping center that is 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 way offset from from the street, and it's hard to see, especially if you're a laundromat. You visibility is really really important right there. Um, but other factors in the laundromat are, are income population, right? If you're in a super wealthy area, you're probably not going to get a ton of laundromat business coming yeah. in if you're in a really wealthy area, right? It's like everyone's got a washer dryer in their home right there. But if you're in a lower income area, say, you know, 40,000, 30,000 average household income, that's where you're going to get to the place where you've really got a lot of uh, potential customers in there that just they might not have the benefit of a washer dryer in their home or their apartment right there. And they might not have this. So we're, we're, we're looking at, at income right there. And then we're looking at, you know, a competition analysis as well, because you can be in the best location possible. But if there's a great competitor, you know, a half a mile down the road that, you know, good luck going and trying to steal all that competition from, from, from an already great competitor. You're just going to be splitting the pie right there. And it might not make sense for a location like that. So one of the last things I wanted to touch on with the laundromat business is the, my only exposure to it originally, other than from a purely commercial real estate perspective, was growing up, my grandmother had a man in her building, actually one of the wealthiest men in her building who ran many laundromats. And um, based on that, he would always talk about how it's a very cash heavy business. Has the model of the business changed significantly since credit card access, or is it still a pretty cash heavy business. Yeah, it's and in fact, so, you know, with with our business in particular, so there's three partners I told you, you know, one's in Colorado, one's in Austin, Texas, and I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, and our our operations are, you know, 2 hours west of me, 2 to 3 hours west of me right now. So for us, we really needed to not be coin-based. A, a lot of the old laundromats are are coin-based. Yeah. Um so we're all card-based system right here. And then many many of the of the new laundromats are moving to primarily card-based systems. And with the card, it can be, you can put cash onto your card. So you literally put cash into a machine, and it'll spit out a card, or you can use a debit card or credit card on there as well. So um, it, it you know, while there's still a, a significant amount of cash as far as uh, dollars being put on, it's not a coin. Dollars are in kind of one location and a safe room right there. It tends to uh, mitigate some of the, I think, the security risk a little bit that, that yeah, in yeah. past. And, and frankly, the, just the logistics of yeah. collecting I mean, those those funds. I can only imagine, right? You know, bringing a Brinks truck up and having to bring, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of quarters yeah. out. I mean, yeah. So on that level, uh, and kind of going to uh, one of the next things that we talk about, you've done thousands of days in a row of working out. And um I was curious about your story in particular. This is one of the things that shocked me. Like, look, laundromats, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, your success, you're a very successful real estate uh, practitioner. And that, that's that's unique. But I talked to a lot of successful real estate practitioners. But the thing that just like blew me away, absolutely blew me away, was how someone could work out for uh, you know, a thousand days plus in a row. And so... I was inspired when I was back in law school. I read a guy, I'm sure you know know the name, David Goggins. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and I, I read his book, and uh, his book, Can't Hurt Me. It, it inspired awesome, me to be a much stronger, more well-adjusted person. And, like, I work out, but I work out, you know, maybe three or four days a week. I, I, I don't work out every day. And when I saw that you had done, uh, you know, the everyday workout challenge, I was just 
blown away. And so in that note, um, how do you start working out every day and how do you not stop? Because I, I think it's very impressive. So, yeah, I started a health and fitness journey back in 2012 is, is kind of when I started it. And, um, it, you know, starting to learn about food and nutrition a little bit and just committing to working out. So I'd, I'd gone through, uh, um, Oh, what Sean T's workout from his beach body stuff. Uh, I got through some of the beach body stuff and just anyway, I started this journey. And as I was studying more about working out, I came across a, a YouTube video once, once YouTube was out with Kevin Hart. It's, it's a Nike commercial that he did. He and his training partner on there, Robert Evangeline, I think. And man, it was inspiring. It's him just kind of cranking it. And, he, and he's, he's got a voiceover lay as he's going through all this. And one of the things he said uh, he says, you know, 365 days, no days off. And I was like, whoa. And so as I, I used to teach a bunch of classes too, and I was, I was teaching people about things. I, I would show that video sometimes and it, it would just hit me, but I had never done a 365 days, no days off myself. I'd always, you know, it, on a great week, I was working out, you know, maybe four or five days a week. And so I decided in, uh, 2018 that, I was going to do that. I think late 2018 is when I started. And then 2019 was when I actually did it. I said, all right, I'm going to go 365 days through here. <laughs> and so, but I wanted something like, here's what I know. If you have a plan, like a detailed plan, it's a heck of a lot easier to follow and execute that plan than just you know, a hope or oh, I want to do this. And so I want to be fully committed on this. And so I mapped out a plan and my plan was very simple to this. Oh, and I also wanted to do it to... Yeah, number one, so that we could be having a conversation like this today, right? I wanted to go through that and do it so I could tell people about it. I wanted to do it where it didn't involve a gym, didn't involve spending any money. You could do it from your home uh, with just, you know, yourself, a little mat and, uh, you know, a pair of tennis shoes. And and so with the workout plan I came up with, um, it was just rep based. I said, OK, in in January, I'm going to do 400 reps a day of, of and I said it could be push ups sit-ups, squats, lunges, uh, pull-ups, and a couple of things. It all just body work exercise. And then I had mapped it all on a spreadsheet, so I track it every day, how many reps I was doing. And I said, all right, January, I started like three days before the end of, uh, I think I started late 2018 with 300 reps a day. And then I kicked up to 400 reps a day in January. And then February, is going to do 500 and then 600. And then so by by December, I think I was doing 11 or 1200 reps a day or something. Okay. but and, and let me tell you, January was hard doing <laughs> 400 reps a day in January. It, it was a, a beating. But February was easy, you know, because I, I had 30 days of repetition in there and, and going through it in February was really not that hard. And then March, kind of same thing as I'm layering on 100 more per day each each month. Um, but let me tell you, when you get to 1,000, 1,100, 1,200, that's it just takes time. It, you know, it's just taking me an hour, hour and 20 minutes to get my workout done. Um, but I can tell you, I was super fit. I was looking great. Um, super fit. And so I get to the end of this year and I'm like, there's no way I'm stopping. There's just, this feels amazing. And, and what I started to learn about myself, it was so much easier to go every day than to go five days a week. Right. Cause if you take one day off or two days off, that can, 
especially if you take two days off, it can easily lead to three or four right there. It can just easily bleed into that. And and so I said, man, (laughs) if I'm committed every day. So I said, let's keep that going through the next year. So through the next year, I I modified it because I really, especially in the later part of, of that 2019 year, because of so many reps I was doing, I wasn't running at all. And I really enjoyed running and the, and the cardio. So all my cardio was out on that. And so I wanted to layer in cardio. So 2019, I did the same thing. I just modified a little bit, same thing, mapped out a plan. Here's the thing I'm going to do and followed that plan. So then I went all the way through 2019 or t- through 2020 doing it again. And that was especially beneficial through COVID and the you know, weirdness of that year. Having, you know, consistent exercise was really, really important for me to get through that year. Uh, and in 2021, I continued on again uh, through 2021. And um, uh, and finally into 2022, I, so I'd gotten over, you know, three years in a row, so over a thousand days right there. And then in 2022, this, this past year, um, I had some you know, stuff going on with, with one of my kids and I was shutting down this business that we're finally shutting down. I was coming to terms with the fact we're going to shut down this business, which had become my baby and, and just a, a really important project to me. Um, it just kind of went through a little mild depression in 2022 and, and uh, I fell off the wagon. So I was like, you know what? I, you know, I, I, I probably averaged three to four days a week. In, right, in, that's in that's the most folks. No one's no one's gonna be hating. Yeah, but but for <laughs> me, it was like a real. Uh, it, it I it becomes so much of who I was daily working out, and I felt so good about it. And so I'm back on this year every day, no days missed. I've got my plan. I've mapped it all out, and, and I'm back on the plan. And, and you know, I was talking to someone who reached out to me. He wanted accountability for fitness this year coming into it. And I said, look, in my opinion, it is easier to do something every day. Even if that something is, you know, walking for two miles, take your dog out for a walk for two miles, right? That's some kind of exercise right there. If you're doing something every single day, rather than than saying, I'm going to work out, especially to say, I'm going to work out four or five days a week. That's just a, if I was your coach, that wouldn't work. Right. Accountability. Yeah. Yeah, You've got to have a defined plan and commit to it right there. So anyway, that that's me. And it was uh, it was fun to go through that. Here's the cool thing, though. I had a guy I was six months into my little journey and he's like, hey, man, what are you doing? And I, I told him about it. And he's he's in another accountability group of mine. And he said, man, I'm stubborn. He's like, I I could do that. And uh, he's now well over a thousand days himself, right? <laughs> and so it's it's awesome to see the little ripple effect that that one can have. Hey, like um, accountability—that's that's one of the leading uh, ways that we can end up achieving some of our goals and 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 finding success. And I think the last thing I'd like to touch on before we get to our final four questions, yeah. is you've been very accountable to yourself and to everyone you coach. Um, and one of the things I think that makes not only coaches and I, and we can talk about coaching, but one of the things that makes just generally business people and people successful in life is accountability for their past successes and failures. Yeah. And, um, look, um, the most successful entrepreneurs, the most successful people I meet in life are always humble and you're no different in this regard. You've been very open about some of the ventures that didn't succeed. Um, how how do you handle the setbacks? Is it accountability or is it uh, that inner drive or you know what is it? 
you know, there's certainly an inner drive. And, you know, I guess one thing is I've, I've learned through just osmosis through others, really, that, you know, failure is a part of the progress forward. And it's really important. And I didn't grow up knowing that. Um, I, I'm so, you know, a little bit envious. And I teach my children that very much now. But, you know, I look at, at some of these, uh, some people that had grown up with parents that taught them, hey, man, failing's part of it. Go forward, do something, fail, get up, do it again. It's a learning process. It's an iteration. All that said, okay, Gordon, it's still hard. It's still hard when we, I mean, let, let, let's be clear. Like I, I told you, I went through depression last year, shutting down this business. I, I literally, I was like, ah, oh, because I let down my investors. I lost a lot of my own money. Um, I let down my customers that were, had believed in me on that. And, you know, at least I felt like you know, people would tell me you didn't let anyone down, but I, I felt like I let people down through this process. And so failure is difficult. Um, yet as long as we learn and apply the lessons for this and I, I look, I got an MBA in, in, you know, this tech business in, in learning the tech business, which, you know, we'll figure out how I apply that into other businesses going forward. I don't know exactly right now. Um, but I learned so much through that process. I really did. And some of the relationships I met through that, or I mean, like one of the coaches I had in that business, um, we now coach each other. So it's, it was, it was a really cool thing. Like he was coaching me in that, but now I'm kind of coaching him in some of his business, just in, in life and doing things right now. And so we just, you know, we don't charge each other. We just meet an hour each week and we uh, kind of mastermind and coach each other through some things. So it's, anyway, so I've, I've met great people through that process. And, and as long as you learn through it, it's a good thing. So you're not the first successful person I've met who has kind of an accountability buddy. I know people uh, in a lot of different industries kind of use the, uh, accountability method where you pick someone else that's in a similar area or, uh, you know, sit or the same industry, but in a different part of the country and you have an accountability buddy. Yeah. Uh, so for anybody who, you know, wants to talk about that, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you're a great person to reach out to or uh, uh, reach out to somebody else on Twitter about it because having that accountability method is absolutely key towards success. Um, hey, I'll give you, I'll give you an example on the accountability. Okay, yeah. Um, which was great. I, you know, I, I told you I'm now kicked off again on the 365 program, but you know, in November I was feeling fat and lazy and, and just <laughs> out of shape. And, 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 uh, uh, with a, a group I meet with through, through, uh, go abundance. We have a local group we meet each week or each month rather. And, uh, we were talking, several of us say, man, I, I want to get it kicked off. And, and so we created a little accountability group for people that wanted to work out every day, in there for 30 days, December 1st through 30th, right? So who wants to commit? And we had like a dozen of us that committed and we, we put up uh, $200 a day for anyone that missed, okay, was, was our, our deal. And it was so cool to see um, just the, and we, we created a little Telegram thread in there and we, we all report, recorded our results every day in Telegram. And it was so cool to see um, the results from everyone from the accountability because I, I would not have done every day in December, if it weren't for the accountability, um, it and many others said the same thing. And like I worked through, I got I got COVID or, over Christmas, so I was working out even you know through that and going through it, which you know, frankly I think is a good thing. And um, you know, a handful of people missed a couple of days, but they worked out every other day right there. So anyway, accountability you can't say enough uh, about the need for and benefits of accountability. Oh yeah, like our whole world would be 
a lot better place if folks were more accountable. Um, so uh, let's, before we finish off um, and get to the final four, I know I touched on it, but what is your coach? I know we're going to briefly talk about it because we don't have that much time left, but what's coaching like? Do you find a benefit in, in it in terms of um, not even beyond? I know a lot of coaches that find tremendous benefit in helping others. What what really drives you to be a coach? Well, you know, there is a lot of benefit in helping others. So I, I was I was kind of working as a formal coach. I, I've done that for a number of years. I'm not really doing formal coaching with people uh, so much these days. Um, you know, I do love to look at some of my prior students and the success that they've had. It's been really fun to see. So my students are now just absolutely ballers in this business. <laughs> um, and, and I'm I'm not taking any credit for that, but it is sure <laughs> cool to to be affiliated with them, let's say that. And then, you know, some of my, I, I've, I've had, I still have coaches in my life right now. In fact, we're looking right now at potentially hiring a laundromat coach as, as we grow and scale the laundromat business and here to get better at it. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy helping people. So mentoring and, and coaching people, even when it's an unpaid uh, opportunity, it's, it's important. And, you know, I've got a mentor of mine right now. I've had two phone calls with him this week. The guy owns like 280 Sonics. He's at, wow. <laughs> and he's making time for me. Pick up the phone. Every time I call, he picks up the phone. Frankly, oftentimes he'll call me and, um, uh, you know, he, he's such a great example to me of the importance of, of offering your value to others. And so I, I try to emulate his example whenever I can. Oh yeah. I mean, that's what life is about, right? Is adding value. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of that. That is, that is what you said is probably the most important thing, right? A adding value to people right there. It's huge. Um, so on that note, uh, adding value, we find that our final four questions are huge value adds to not only understanding how the industry works, but understanding more about the person that we're, uh, we're talking to. Yeah. So the first question of our final four, it's the same always. It's what do you think is going to change most about the commercial real estate industry over the next 10 years? I know I that's, that, it's a big question. It, it is. And so I, I think technology is going to continue to play a larger and larger role in, in commercial real estate. You're seeing it in some buildings and things right now. What's going on? Um, I think blockchain, I think in commercial real estate, certainly in title, um, I think we're going to see blockchain come and find a role in that. And I, I don't, you know, uh, pretend to be any kind of expert in it. But from you know, the, what I've read, what I've seen, what I've listened to, I think that's going to uh, continue to play a big role. And I think, frankly, from for people in the in the brokerage industry, I think specialization and niching down is going to continue to get more and more important as, as we go on. Oh, yeah. I mean, the world is flat, so it's hard to be a generalist yeah. across the whole world. That's for sure. Um, so on, on the note of um, going forward, we're going to go back and we're going to take take it back to when you started out in your career. So what would you tell a young Ken about uh, the world advice? What would be your your, you know, your one minute spiel if you had a time machine and could go back and say, hey, Ken, this is this is how I need to. Uh, this is how you need to do it. You need you need to do this differently. Uh, yeah, that's a great question, and I think 
I think I would I, I would go back and tell myself, hey man, I've looked at all of the the real estate that you've owned and sold over the years, and it's so much more valuable today. <laughs> it's so much more valuable today than it was when you yes, sold it. Yes. And so you might think about just hanging on to everything, right? And so in, in continually investing, taking some money, whether it's single family or shopping or whatever you can buy or invest in and uh, and continue to own those, right? Okay. Yeah. That that may or may not be the first time we've heard that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's look, but then the funny thing is there's all sorts of folks who we talk to that see the grass green on the other side that are buy and hold folks are like, man, you know what? I really should have sold that office property in 2006. And so like the grass is always green. It, it right? is. But, yeah. Uh, and on that note of, um, of, of going forward along our, uh, our final four questions, one of the questions that we find the most valuable and, and, the, and the greenest in terms of value is uh, going out and finding books. So like, I'm a big reader. Uh, I'm a nerd. I read um, 20, 20 plus books a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, on that note, is there a book on business or real estate that you find that really influenced your career? Um, look, uh, 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 here. I, this this is a book on mindset, right? Yes. Yeah. I didn't read this until I was forty. So this is eleven yeah. years ago is when I read this, and I was absolutely floored by thinking grow rich. Another in business, E Myth. Okay, oh, E Myth yeah. revisited great, great book about really good book. growing yeah. a business instead of becoming an you know instead of being an operator, it's just becoming a business owner. And then look here, here's another cash flow quadrant. Kiyosaki yeah. right there um, yeah. was was early on. So that was way, way. That was even before I got in the real estate business when I was reading uh, that and thinking grow rich and some books like that. And I was like, whoa, this makes a ton of sense. And so uh, those are just a, a handful that have been really influential in my life. Look, I would say that we have a lot of brokers that follow me or, or watch the podcast or um, are involved with kind of the broader view of some of our blogs. And I'd say this definitively, if you're working in the service industry, find some avenue of long-term cash flow because you don't know how powerful equity is until you, you have it. And look, it's great. I'm in the service industry, right? But I certainly don't find all my cash flow from the labor of my hands. And yeah. Ken, those are great books. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, those have been really important ones for me. So on the on the last question, the final four. This is this is the one that we find is not only the most important for our podcast, but the most important for other folks is, is there a person that's influenced you in the world of real estate that we should reach out to? Because look, you, you have a track record of not only coaching a lot of very successful people, but also of meeting and helping with a lot of successful people. Who's somebody that we should reach out to? I'll give you four people if you want. Well, look, we'll take four people. I mean, you know a lot of successful people, so. Yeah, I'll give you a guy that uh, was one of my former coaching clients who's who's now probably the most successful uh, manufactured housing broker in the country. Um, Sounds uh, like a great interview. He's amazing. He's he's uh, Buddy Martin is, is one. The other uh, is the guy I told you who's now also worked out more than a thousand days, uh, Jake Harris, who is a... <laughs> 
significant real estate developer um, building a massive thousand unit complex in San Antonio. It's going to be a just a, uh, a a magical property when he builds that. Uh, and then the other are my two partners in the laundromat, um, Skyler, who I told you is the the operator, who's the uh, ex special forces guy. Um, he runs a real estate practice, uh, a residential real estate practice, and then is building our laundromat empire. And my other partner, Jason, is um, you know, he's been a, a real estate redeveloper for the last 20 years. And so he's great. He's a shopping center rehabber and a phenomenal guy. But I'm happy to get you contact info for all four of those. Look, I'd, I'd love to have it. They sound like phenomenal folks to bring on. And yeah. um, Ken, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Gordon, it's been a blast. Thank you for having me and uh, keep doing the great work that you're doing. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like, a five-star rating or review. Your comments and interactions and subscriptions matter for the podcast algorithm and they help us continue to get guests our viewers want to listen to and learn from. You can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gordon Lamphere with The Real Finds Podcast. Thank you for listening.